Good evening. This is Cinema 60. Tady je zázrak minulého století. Kovový muž, který Mám už 80 let. To je tedy pěkná starožitnost. Ale tady jsou všichni roboti centrálně řízení. Specializování. Ale co je mi do nich? Patrik je univerzální. Umí všecko. Jenže není k ničemu. Patriku, jdem. Greetings, Bart. Hi, Jenna. Today we are going to a different universe. A different galaxy. Far, far away. Beyond the stars. Beyond human comprehension. That world is Soviet space movies of the 60s. I feel like we're living in the far, far distant future of 2023 right now. That is what it feels like, right? Yeah. What did you think that we would have by 2023 when you were young Sprout in the 1970s? Um, I guess Zoom comes pretty close to what I imagined we would have. I don't know. Jetpacks? Every kid wants a jetpack. But they had those in, in Thunderball, so that technology we had in 1965. Yeah, where is your jetpack? I don't know. At least we have kind of a Cold War going on again. <laughs> yeah, thank God. We hate those Ruskies. <laughs> well, you know, the reason why I wanted to do this episode is really just because I love everything about the Soviet space program. <laughs> Actually, you know what really inspired me was right in, we have a long, long list of Cinema 60 episode ideas, is a spreadsheet that is beautifully organized by one Bartholomew DeLauro. But it's filled to capacity with names of movies that are impossible to find. And uh, Jenna put all those there. <laughs> but they were good ideas. They're good ideas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in 2020, right when, or it was in 2021, when, um, you know, things started to open up again, my first uh, venture outdoors with my mask on ended up being at to the Museum of the Moving Image because right in 2020, Right before the pandemic happened, they had a 2001 exhibit, Jenna Catnip, and I was going to go, of course, you know, like, oh, I have a year to go, and then the freaking everything fell apart and the world got destroyed. But then when it reopened, that was my absolute first stop. It was like literally the first place I like went inside of <laughs> in a year and a half. And uh, one of the parts of that exhibit was that they were showing a different clips of like commercials and movies and things that all came out before 2001 and things that either they knew for sure that Kubrick had seen and was a bit of an influence to him or things that likely were an influence to him. And one of the movies that we are going to watch today or that we watch today was on that list, but it really just made me, the whole thing really just made me want to be like, man, I can't believe I haven't seen these other films. And I love Soviet space travel. It is the, the coolest and the most stylish shit on the planet. <laughs> it is so styling. Just look at all of their, even their little patches. I mean, NASA has really cool patches too. In general, the space program's pretty damn styling. But yeah, I just really wanted to watch a bunch of like Soviet space movies and get some fashion tips and 
you know, feel good about something for once. That's the other thing about it's like the the one time Russians are optimistic. <laughs> Except these movies all have bummer endings, or most of them do. Really? I but, thought they were kind of uplifting. Oh. There's always somebody who sacrifices their life so that the mission can succeed. Well, yeah. Um, but then I made you expand your list of movies outside the Soviet Union. Um, first of all, because I couldn't find half the stuff that you had listed. Uh, and second of all, there's a uh, Czechoslovak movie that I've been dying to see that I, uh, that I convinced you. If we expand it to the whole Eastern Bloc, you know, communist countries, then, then we'll, then we'll have a, an episode. And, and that's what we did. So we've got uh, half of these are actually from the Soviet Union. A couple are from Eastern Bloc countries outside the Soviet Union. And then one is, uh, is an American film that uh, deals with the Cold War space race and contains cosmonauts in it. And just because we did that when we did our last Soviet episode, right? With our Right, with Cold War comedy, we did five American movies that were uh, were about the Cold War, and then we we threw in a uh, a Russian one at the end just so we could say we we got a little bit from the other side. So we 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 copied that. We mi- we mirror imaged that for this episode. And we're all the worse for it, but don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> now we got a nice bunch of movies here. the The main problem is they all kind of blend together because they're awfully similar. Got a bunch of people in very 60s looking spacesuits traveling to some distant planet in all of these and i forget you know which which crew member is in on which which spaceship and which robot belongs to which crew and uh there are a lot of good robots in these movies well here's my argument for that though is that this is definitely an episode that's going to be coasting on vibes because that's kind of what these movies are really about they're really spectacle films and there's a couple of them have actually some really interesting plots Uh, a couple of them might have interesting plots but (laughs) you'll find out (laughs) why we're not too sure but really i mean you know space travel again it's this is a fantasy these are all fantasy movies and so you know what you're really going in is to see the the stunning visuals and what would it feel like to be on space and what does it look like on these different planets and who's up there and are we alone and it's all these questions that you're really just there to get those answered and that's exactly the kind of shit that I want like I'm more than happy to just coast on this enjoy the the cool designs and uh you know get some alien time in and uh, the only problem is that this is a podcast, so we can't like show you how cool this shit looks. Yeah, but you like to find some nice pictures for the website. Um, I went into this wanting to know what our communist future in 200 years was going to look like when the entire world has embraced communism and we're all getting along and there's peace on Earth. The space program is blossoming. We're going everywhere. We're going to to every planet that we can see in the sky. That's the future I wanted to find out about. Well, that's the whole plot of the first movie. Yeah. First movie uh, is actually from East Germany, and it's called The Silent Star, 1960.
fairly famous in the U.S. Uh, because Roger Corman bought it and re-edited it and turned it into First Spaceship on Venus. I believe Mystery Science Theater got their hands on that one. But it's actually a really good movie uh, in, in the original form in German. It's actually a German-Polish co-production. It's the future, and they discover a, a cylinder in the Gobi Desert or something that was ejected from a Venusian spaceship. And uh, so they sp- spend some time trying to figure out what's on this communication tube. And uh, all they get from it is like the, the, the elemental makeup of the Earth. And so they think it's just, uh, you know, some, some communique from scientists from Venus. And, uh, but they can only translate part of it. It's, it's damaged. And uh, so this spaceship that they were um, intending to use as the first man flight to Mars, they decide, well, let's go to Venus instead, because now we know that there is life there. So um, let's try and get this thing translated and, you know, make sure that try and communicate back with the Venusians, you know, find out for sure that we're welcome there. And But there's no response from Venus. So uh, they decide, well, we're, we'll go anyway. So they shoot off into space. And it's this uh, international crew. It's it's actually delightfully international. This is the most diversity I've seen in the first fifteen minutes of any movie, any movie. we've we've watched <laughs> in this podcast. Absolutely, you've got both a Chinese and a Japanese female Japanese astronaut, uh, an African and a American and. Polish and you know all all nations are represented here and by like people that at least are like actually not white <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, and they have major roles the the Japanese star Sumiko Sumiko played by uh, Yoko Tani is actually kind of the kind of the heart of the movie like uh, it all all the drama kind of you know plays out around what uh, you know she's got She's got a husband who died in uh, some some expedition. I think it was a it was on the moon. Something happened on the moon, and her husband died. And she's got kind of a thing with the East German astronaut on this flight. They have a, a romantic past, and they're maybe rekindling a little something. And no, no, and- no, 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 no. Hold on. What's happening is that they had a romantic past before she got married. Her husband just died. And he saddles up to her and he's like, hey there, lady, I still remember the love that we had. And she literally tells him, no, Brinkman, there is no room for extra baggage on a journey like this. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. But then there's still, you know, there's there's a there's a little something. There's a spark between them still. He continues to sexually harass her. (laughs) (laughs) The. Polish scientist is the one who brings along this uh, this cool robot named Omega. Uh, and when I saw Omega show up, this little this small kind of looks like a like a small tank with a with a face, and <laughs> <laughs> it talks. And uh, you know they all kind of talk the same way. All the all these robots in all these movies just uh, in a robotic voice. But uh, but when I saw this this Omega show up, I, I immediately like texted Jenna saying you're, you're gonna flip when you watch this movie because I mean the the the, <laughs> the art direction in this is incredible the colors are amazing the like the spaceship crew the pit crew are all you know 
in different colors and they each have a different letter on their jerseys to represent what their job is. They kind of look like they they're, they're from Devo or something. And it's <laughs> it's uh, this movie's fantastic. Even before it gets to Venus and spoiler, they do get to Venus. This movie looks amazing. But uh, yeah, so this crew finally, the one guy takes a little glider down and he something blows up. So they land the whole ship down there. And I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, there are these like glass forests on Venus. It's pretty, pretty cool looking. Like they clearly spent a lot of money on the art direction in this movie. Um, yeah, 1960. Yeah. There's a living mud swamp that tries to eat our astronauts. But they, they discover that uh, the, the Venusians were actually trying to conquer the Earth. I mean, it's, this, it's a message. It's an anti-nuclear war message to this film. So we might as well spoil it and say that, yeah, the Venusians were actually trying to kill everyone on Earth before they invaded it and took it over. But before that could happen, they had their own like nuclear crisis on their planet and wiped out all the all the humanoids and even get like their shadows on the wall sumiko was uh she talks a lot about how she was born um you you know she was a little girl when the bombing of hiroshima happened so she sees these shadows on the wall they're just like the shadows on the wall in in hiroshima that you see it's an anti-nuke movie it's a it's a message of peace that we all better straighten ourselves out and get rid of these nuclear and this is a lem a lem story right yeah well we watch we Two of these movies are based on early Lem books. I think ones that he aren't particularly well loved. Uh, this one was called The Astronauts. I think it was actually a young adult novel that he wrote. <laughs> yeah, so there there's some interesting things in this that are Lem-like. The mud swamp, the the uh, the sentient mud swamp uh, in this is sort of like the uh, the sentient ocean in Solaris, and you know there's certain touches that uh, that feel kind of lemma-ish but yeah it's it's a cool looking movie and i liked it you don't sound excited enough about this movie bart because this was an exciting <laughs> movie like you say there's touches of of you know stanislav lemma i like i feel like this was actually a really thoughtful and and really interesting film you know number one as you said all that di- diversity like there, there's like a genuine utopia on display and they like really went out there and did it and then this message about oh they like it sounds like the the people in on Venus were were gonna come and and you know visit us like let's go visit them and it turns out they were actually gonna kill everyone and then they ended up destroying their own planet because they harnessed too much power and so it goes <laughs> and uh, it was it's it's actually kind of I thought it was touching I thought it was actually like this sort of sad and a grim message, a grim reminder on, on the power and the folly of man, you know, like I thought there was, this is actually pretty thoughtful. Yeah. And a little poetic, you know, you even have like this, uh, the only thing left of their existence is their shadows. It's like a straight up line from the movie. Yeah. I, I think the ideas involved in the movie were, are a little more interesting than how they were actually realized on the screen. I think the, the movie itself was more interested in just, showing you some some cool set design and that's uh, the other thing the set design is amazing in this the cream and orange red and blue 
light blue and yellow and like dark green. It's this perfect color palette. It looks like the future. The red on the spaceship, like the interior of their spaceship going to to Venus really pops. Like it's got that. Yeah, that's my favorite color. It's that red orange 60s. Because it's not on film anymore, we can't capture that color anymore (laughs) really makes your movie look good i don't know there's also a whole thing about like you know there's three people who die and they're they were all at least remembered as they three of them did a first you know and they're we're going to remember them as the first one to step foot on the planet and the first one to discover life and you know whatever i don't remember what the third one did but uh i don't know it was those deaths fun. do carry some weight in this movie in a way that they don't in the other movies i think because it's such an engaging plot and you're, it's really just exciting to see this you know cooperation between nations and this diverse cast and they all have you know, pretty distinct personalities as opposed to the other movies where it's mostly a bunch of white guys and one woman and uh, you can't tell the white guys apart. This this one is full of characters. And, and uh, so you do care when these people sacrifice themselves. And I think if I didn't immediately follow this film with a bunch of movies that did similar things, but not quite as well. I, I would have I'd be more excited about it. So I think that's that may be where my. My, my slight lack of appropriate enthusiasm is coming from. Bart just doesn't get excited about a sludge monster chasing people up a tower. And uh, that's a shortcoming of his and he has to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Omega commits a murder suicide at, <laughs> at the end of this movie too. I don't know. If oh yeah. Omega that. like, yeah, it goes like, I don't know if it's radiation or something, but this little robot goes crazy and runs over a dude and like crushes his leg. <laughs> God bless him. I don't know. I thought this was really stylish and clever. I would totally watch this movie again. This is fun. I think there's actually a mystery science theater of this too, right? You, oh, there you is. Yeah. That. the Yeah. The, the Roger Corman, the crown international version, which, and it's funny because this is, this movie has got like a 2.1 rating on IMDb or something, which is appropriate for, this happened to us before with Father Frost. It's like right. these, these American versions that are just ridiculed by, by Mystery Science Theater and, and, you know, other shows that just show you the, the worst of the worst movies and you're supposed to, you know, laugh at them. When you see the originals and the original language, the original cuts, they, they turn out to be really good movies. So it's it's kind of a shame that this that if you you go to look up this movie, you'll see a lot of lousy reviews for it because it's great. Yeah, this is like I, I don't know. I would like hard recommend this one. There's there's only one other movie out of all of these that I would say is a must watch. And, and this is one of them. Yeah. And none of them are the uh, are the Soviet ones we watched. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but they're not the must watches. But uh, the next movie is. Planet of Storms from 1962. Or in Russian, it's Planeta Bur. I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) How to explain Planet of Storms? Because this one is, is, I didn't think it was bad, but it is, it's got to be like the most American style 
of all of these Soviet films or that honestly, it's like the most American style Soviet film I've ever watched (laughs) because it's like all spectacle and not much else. Like there's absolutely, there's, you know, hints of something utopian here, but really it's just about shooting guns. (laughs) It's a fun adventure. It feels more like 60s sci-fi TV than it does a a thoughtful sci-fi movie. It's there. I guess there are a few ideas in here, but it's mostly just, just for kicks. Yeah. I like all the, uh, the uh, ancient astronaut stuff in it. That's really cool. Well, the plot here is that there's three Soviet spaceships and they're going to uh, Venus again to explore the planet. And one of the spaceships gets struck by meteors and everyone is completely killed. So the two ships that are left have to figure out if they're going to continue on with the mission or if they're going to go back because the third spaceship is necessary for whatever reason Uh, to wait for a replacement would take too long um, coming from earth. They section off the crew and they say, okay, we're going to be the landing party now. And the rest of you have to keep the ship going and of course, the people that they leave behind, this is and this is why I say it's American, too, is that they're like, all right, you're a woman. You got to stay up on the ship. <laughs> it's only a, the, the big burly men that go down there. And they actually and then a, a very a huge robot called John, who also gets to go on the ship for some reason. Looks a lot like the robot from Forbidden Planet, Robbie. Yeah, pretty much exactly like that <laughs> robot. They like go down in a glider. <laughs> Yeah, it's another one where there's the first the first person to to land mucks it all up. So the another another bunch of guys have to go down to rescue them. And that's why um Masha is left on her own. Is it this is the one with Masha, right? Yeah, this is Masha. It, she's left on her own to communicate between the planet and Earth base and uh, you know, and there are difficulties there because they're so far away. So there's there's uh, a lot, a lot of the tension comes between her not being able to communicate with the planet and know if the, the people down there are safe, if she should come down and rescue them, or if she should wait up in the capsule um, like the Earth people have told her to do. And so it's it's another move. The women, there are women on the crew of all in all of these movies, and they're always kind of the, well, except for the American one at the end. They're always kind of playing the they like represent the humanity like their home base they represent home base and and the men are the ones are the you know adventurers the ones who who go out and explore and do these exciting things and the and the women are are like don't forget about love don't, well, don't, forget, don't about... forget about like the fact that we're cosmonauts yeah. masha gets done dirty in this movie but anyhow so the, these guys go down to space and I mean, first off, they find water on Venus, which is pretty impressive. And then they find tentacles <laughs> and, and like theremin operatic music. And it ends up like being a giant plant that's trying to kill them. They get their guy out of the plant and they take photos of it and they're very excited. And then they just start whipping guns out and shooting everything. <laughs> like straight up. It's like a dude has a gun on Venus and and, and like it cuts to this too. Like there's no explanation First, there's a plant. I think actually this is the second landing party that they cut to. And it is just this dude shooting several different Godzillas with a gun. Human-sized Godzillas. So they're yeah, just they're little baby little... <laughs> ones. But there's several of them. And he doesn't give a shit. He's just shooting them. And it's like, dude, like full-on alien. Like, you know, they, they don't even care. There's like a brontosaurus that they also shoot. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> they the get Brano- a sample. Yeah, they take blood. They, that's a, it's a peaceful plant eating dinosaur. Yeah, well, they they maim it and then they leave. Uh, and then there's pretty much the rest of this is just these guys blundering around. Like at a certain point, they're all dying because they lack oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> John the robot opens their helmets up. That's a that's a big lol moment right there. That that got me when when oh John is just like throwing water on the faces of the of the cosmonauts. And can I tell you that John is the worst robot ever? Like I don't know why they told a human lady to stay up on the ship when John walks like fucking he takes like a, a like a centimeter step every five minutes. He is the slowest. <laughs> most like ponderous the dude all he does is like tell them facts about how they're gonna die yeah but he walks them across the lava pit then he he howl nine thousands them he's like gonna gonna kill them all so that he can uh you know not melt in the lava but they, yeah they he like straight up tries to like dump them in the lava <laughs> <laughs> and then i think that i think it's that moment where the the theme song kicks in which is also the other great part about this movie, which is like this Homeward Guys theme song. Yeah, I get confused between the songs that are in this one. There's just one There's major a lot song of in this in one. And, but then the next one has a whole bunch of patriotic songs. But this one has, yeah, this one has a good. This one's not even, it's like barely, I mean, it's patriotic, but it's really more just like, it's about guys, just guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like there's scenes in this movie where it's just a straight up bunch of guys hanging out on the planet Venus, like pulling pranks and singing songs. Like that's like the vast majority of what they're doing when they're not killing people, uh, killing animals and being murdered by John just like dissolves into bro nonsense. Like at that point you're like, I'm glad Masha's not here, (laughs) but it does get cool when they're, they're attacked by the pterodactyl and they take cover underwater and they find this, underwater civilization and that's the last so like here's the thing it like the movie ends straight up first off they're all walking along talking about how they want to bang masha straight up there's like some (laughs) locker room talk about masha it starts raining on venus and then they like find this carved face in a rock and then they're like oh the aliens are here and they're just like us all right time to leave venus and then we see like a glimpse of an alien and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> There's some cool philosophizing about how about ancient astronauts and how the same race of people who colonized Earth and uh, you know gave birth to humanity tried to colonize Venus and there's a little bit of food for thought there. I think ancient astronauts is is one of my favorite bits of of hokum that uh, that gets that gets spread around my favorite bit of cryptozoology or, or whatever you want to call it. It's called truth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next movie I'm letting you do because you're doing all the, the Russian films. Oh no. (laughs) Cause you're, cause you're the Russian expert. Well, the next film was an Odessa film studio film. So this was Ukrainian, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, encounter in space, 1963. I just realized that it wasn't saying the directors of any of these. Mikhail Karyukov and Otar 
Koberdze. Probably probably butchering that. Well, the first director uh, you mentioned is worth mentioning because he also did the 1959 film that we covered in our Francis Ford Coppola episode that got turned into yes. Battle Beyond the Sun or whatever it was called. So this the, these are actually not our first Soviet sci-fi movies. We actually covered a, a, a bastardized version of one on an earlier episode. And this one... I kind of like this one. I don't think you like this one. Not much. No, I didn't find it that memorable. Really? I mean, this one's another one that visually is just really, I thought it was pretty stunning. The The previous film, actually, it has some moments of, of style planet of storms, but uh, we get back to like the first film, basically like now we're back in like some really baller, Soviet design, yeah. Soviet space design, and especially because we see these aliens that are even cooler looking. But and Earth, it looks amazing in this movie in a way like in uh, Silent Star. Earth just kind of looks like it does now. It looks like you know Cape Canaveral or something. But, yeah, we uh, well, it's it's Ploshad Gagarin. It's Yuri Gagarin Square where they everyone gathers to on to see a big screen of uh you know what's happening announcements from space which is that's freaking awesome <laughs> and there's these gigantic sculptures it, yeah it looks amazing uh but the plot is that earth is broadcasting a song through the galaxy and some martians from planet centuria pick it up and they try to initiate contact but then they have to like crash land on one of Mars's moons on Phobos. And so uh, basically like, you know, the, the earth gets together and, and says, we got to go help them. We have to investigate what happened. And you, they do get together like a kind of a, they don't, they're not, it's not as expressly utopian as our first film, but there is like, there's this Mr. Langton character who is definitely not Russian. Uh, and he's like the naysayer to some degree. And uh, there's a good, there's like this great argument where at the beginning, it's something about like, you know, they're, they're arguing like, uh, I suppose a civilization that's capable of overcoming interstellar distances could only have one purpose, the thirst for knowledge. There's someone else. I'm, I, is it Langton? This is what I don't remember. But someone else replies like the thirst for knowledge was, you know, the same push that brought European civilization to Africa and Asia, which brought us a sea of tears and blood. And this was done by people living under this sky. What can we expect from someone from another world? And you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the Doctor Strange love looking dude who says that? Yeah, it is. It is. Is that Langton? I don't remember. There is. There's some yeah. professor that's like a naysayer. Langdon is the is the evil American, right? Who's like, oh, they're they probably just want to kill he's us. Just, yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. like convinced that like we're all gonna die, <laughs> 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 which you know is not totally unreasonable. But yeah, he's the naysayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like this movie. So like, uh, that's that's the plot, and then we we get these flashbacks. Like we we do get to actually see these the aliens who are amazing looking. They're like. The, the alien ship is like beautiful. Like uh, the, you should watch this movie if for nothing else to just see the, the alien ship design because it's like just full of stars, glowing orbital spherical space design. And all these aliens have, they're, they're just people, but they have these kind of alien makeup, very pale looking faces and like amazing hats. <laughs> and these radar things that kind of look like bunny ears. 
Yeah, it, it's just it, it's just so cool looking. The color in this also looks really great for what it is. Early on, the scenes you get like two or three shots of Centuria, and that looks incredible. The the yes. matte paintings of, of that planet are unbelievable. So many good matte paintings, so many good models, miniatures. This movie really stands out visually. And that's kind of it. I mean, like, I kind of think the whole thing, it, it's a bit of a vibe movie. I mean, there's a lot of singing. <laughs> there's a singing narration that keeps coming and going that that isn't really that interesting. <laughs> it's kind of like propagandistic, but uh, it's it's not like the worst. It's fine. It's it, it's really just trying to, like, move along a narrative. And But we also get these kind of quiet moments, like, where the we see the the crew up in space, but we also see the flashback of them just being like scientists on earth basically which actually felt kind of new wavy and and cool to me it's got kind of a flashback structure a flash forward there's a, some annoying narration too that tries to explain to you where you are in time at any given point but yeah it did it did have a weird vibe to it for that reason like it felt like you're watching a documentary on the the on first contact you know, and this is how it happened yeah, and you know, they it, it takes the whole movie for them again to meet the aliens which happen in like the last 15 minutes and it's kind of just about the spectacle of them being up in space and and investigating and and landing on this moon. But I mean the the film I like this movie because it's just the whole thing kind of just felt like again it felt like this love letter to humanity, you know, it's like a a love letter to curiosity and intelligence and compassion and you know, it has these kind of impressionistic pieces to it, and there's like plods along, but it, it's not it's not bad. Like I I kind of I don't know I enjoyed it. That's the thing with a lot of these movies is like there's characters, <laughs> you know there there are like little dramas that are playing out in between, but it didn't really matter because in the end it's about them kind of being compassionate to the to the aliens, and of, of course they they literally get to have like a. You were wrong, Mr. Langton. <laughs> the most Soviet thing about this movie is that you see the earlier lives of, of these astronauts before they go on this mission. And they portray them as just like these these simple country bumpkins who just have, don't have a care in the world. They're just you know, enjoying the, the rural life and uh, they're just hardworking communists, just like you know, comrades, simple people. We're all... We're all equals. We're all just, you know, just idealizing the the ordinary people, I guess. It, it spoiled the vibes for me a bit. This, this story. <laughs> I was going to say that's what I liked about it. Because the other, the previous movie too, like that movie is so nasty to nature. And this movie is all about like, you know, trying to, trying to preserve life, you know? And, and so I appreciated that about this. I thought it was sweet. Yeah. Too much singing. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it just, again, it looks so damn great. I mean, like, I, I'm more than happy to just watch them play chess in space. And the most disappointing thing about this movie is there's this incredible poster where it's got, uh, you know, one of one of our Soviet astronauts, one of our cosmonauts on Mars or Phobos or something carrying the, you know, a, a woman like and it's, you know, seems like the struggle across the Martian desert or something. And it's such an amazing looking poster. And we, when you actually see that moment in this movie, it's pretty underwhelming. <laughs> yeah. I have to say. 
But well, that's, that's the, yeah, it gets so caught up again. It gets so caught up in, can they get there? Can they get this ship off the ground? And can, you know, it's still, it's all stuck in the Marvel of what we want to do in 63, you know, like where we've been and it loses like the, what could have been, you know, it kind of, it gets a bit short sighted in its vision and, and it leaves it to the last five minutes. And it could have been more fun if it was really this like alien rescue story. And we actually sat with that. I mean, in a lot of these movies, it's really more about the ship taking off than it is about getting there. And the sacrifice, the the one person, one or more people who give up their lives for the good of humanity. Right. After this one, we went to Czechoslovakia, same year, 1963. And, uh, and we watched my favorite of all of these movies, Ikari XB1. to the end of the universe that was the name that uh the crown international gave it when it brought it over to the u.s and really just dubbed the voices i think they didn't change a whole lot with this one because there, there's not a well actually there is one uh one anti-capitalist moment in this that's really shocking and I, i'm not sure how they dealt with that in the americanized version but uh anyway this is this is also based on a lem story novel i don't know one of his earlier works it's about this um it's you know a couple hundred years in the future and and society has has gone all utopian and they sort of get get all these you know crew of 40 people onto this ship to travel to a planet orbiting the these alpha centauri and so this you know they've got all sorts of nations represented on this voyage all the faces are white in in this one but uh they Lots of different nations are represented. You you see towards the end of the movie, like it, it's a you get a piece of the end of the movie right at the beginning where one of the crew members has started to lose his mind and he's he's like the the rest of the crew is chasing him around the ship and they're trying to like he's shooting at people and they're they're following through through these cameras and it's you know it's like the the space madness episode of Ren and Stimpy and um and I think they have to. They start it <laughs> space madness. And uh, yeah, they, they sort of started out on, on this exciting, like existential note because this, this guy who's lost his mind is like, there is no earth. There's there never no, was, there never was. Yeah. So you know that this, this movie is heading in a, in a fairly dark direction. It's black and white. Actually. I think it's, yeah, it's the only black and white film that we watched and it's, it's and a, yet still one of the best looking. It's beautiful. The sets in this are incredible. And this one, this is actually the movie that Kubrick specifically said that he was yes. inspired by for the for the interiors of the spaceship because they're so enormous and and empty. And he used that like the, it doesn't look like the interiors of the ship in in 2001, but it's got that same kind of, you know, cold metallic vibe that the that the ships have in uh, in 2001. And a grandness. You never really get the the other movies. The the ships are again they're they're kind of like limited by reality. You know, everyone's like strapped in together in one room, and whereas this one, like, there's multiple rooms. It's much much like you never really know how big this ship is, but you know it's big. And you just spend a lot of time like watching the people on the ship 
trying to not be bored for the right. several months that it takes. I think it's it's a twelve month, eleven month voyage. I think, and uh, and so you see like you know disco parties, and uh, you see little romantic flings. People, are, one crew member will see another one and across the the room and say, Oh, I didn't notice her before. And, and so you get little, you know, these little dramas playing out that none of them amount to much of anything. You've got this one sort of major storyline where the, the captain of the ship uh, wasn't allowed to bring his wife because she turned out she was pregnant. So they didn't want her on the ship, but then they, you know, her replacement turns out is also pregnant. So women, women. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but it was actually it turns out it was his wife who didn't want to come because she didn't want to have her baby on the ship. So there's you know, there there's definitely there's human drama there. And it all it's not necessarily a, you're not supposed to be sucked into these you know sort of soap opera moments. Really, you're just supposed to, like, get the feel of, of you know, these people are living in a, a society of, you know, these 40 people. And this is how they interact with each other just to like get through this long this endless voyage and so that's a lot of fun like it's and you haven't even gotten to the plot i know well they're they're trying to get to this this planet where they've detected life um in alpha centauri um and it's it's there's not much of a plot actually they they are um it's i kind think of like the a first, series of vignettes yeah the first major thing that happens is the like the most anti-capitalist moment in the movie they come across this um as they're you know halfway across the the galaxy um you know halfway halfway to their destination they come across this this spaceship and they don't know where it's from and they realize that it's actually a an earth spaceship from the last century uh and the entire crew from the on, 20th century from the 20th century the and this year... is supposed to be the 21st century right no 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 no, no. this is the 22nd century yeah, and, and this is a 21st century spaceship, but it's still, we're still, um, you know, Earth was still in the middle of their the Cold War. Things have, have improved since then, and everybody's getting along on Earth, and that's, so that's why you've got this utopian society on this ship. But anyway, they come across this, this spaceship that was launched in the previous century, and it's filled with these, like, fat cats in their tuxedos, and they're all gambling and drinking, but they're all dead. Like, they're all dead in their... They haven't, because of the vacuum in space, I guess, they haven't, uh, their bodies haven't disintegrated. They're just in exactly the same poses in which they died. And they died because the the captain and his, um, and the pilot of the ship realized they were running out of oxygen. So they said, oh, let's kill everybody else on the ship. And uh, so we get to use all the oxygen, um, you know, so that, so they don't take up all our oxygen. And then, uh, you know, so they they release this gas and they sort of instantaneously kill everybody on the ship and uh, and then eventually turn on each other. They the, the the two guys who explore the ship realize this is what happens and they uh, you know end up shooting each other just because they uh, they can't get along. But luckily, it's a uh, hundred years later and and everybody gets along now. So this uh, you know the horrors of twentieth century capitalism are. are is over now and, and we don't have to worry about well they straight up call it out they say that the these are the same beasts that caused auschwitz and in, in hiroshima yeah like that's a that's a line in this which is also it's you know pretty shocking i mean the the whole thing is it's it's really tastefully done the way that this reveal happens because it really is they're walking in essentially to like a haunted house like they don't know where the ship came from they don't know 
if it's alien or what. And then they're shocked to find out that this is from centuries ago. And this is actually in a way ancient aliens because they are ancient uh, astronauts because they, uh, they realize like, Oh, like this is like, this is uh, basically a shame of, of our people that's been buried in space for hundreds of years. And, and we're the poor schmucks that <laughs> stumbled onto it. <laughs> And then the rest of the vignettes are pretty much just, you know, like there, there's a, this dark star that they get caught in, in the, the drift of or something where it has radiation that makes everybody go to sleep for way too long. And then they send two guys out to fix something on the ship and they get briefly exposed by this radiation, which then, you know, and it's like seconds and that's all it takes. And, uh, and their skin starts to bubble and they go insane. And yeah. we realize that the uh, that the guy that we see at the beginning of the movie who's who's lost his mind is actually Mikhail. one of the Mikhail was one of the two who was exposed to the radiation outside and they're while they were repairing whatever they had to repair outside, the radiation from the dark star. And then there's everybody gets sleeping sickness and yeah, it is it's it's an episodic kind of movie, but it's uh, it's hugely enjoyable. I thought it all kind of makes sense. That's what I liked about it. Like this was the best looking of all the films because it was nicely restored and all the, the subtitles were great. It all was well translated. I understood who everybody was and what all the story beats were because it was so well translated. Yeah. So it was, was just, good. the acting was great. There's no patriotic singing. There wasn't the goofiness. <laughs> I mean, you do you do get the robot. There there's a few laughs. Like there's there's this one scientist who brings along this this robot, and everybody makes fun of him because this robot is from you know so old fashioned. Patrick. All the robots seem to have American names. Yeah, they're not very nice to Patrick in this movie. So there's there's some lightheartedness in this movie, but it's it doesn't get goofy and you know juvenile the way the other movies do like it's it is a sort of heady you know serious sci-fi movie in a way that the other ones aren't and you could see why it would have been an inspiration for 2001 because it has a similar you know thoughtful philosophical vibe to it I was curious, like, if if you got anything larger out of this, I I would love to rewatch this, even having just watched it. It was it was haunting. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's really all I can say about it. It's just it's beautifully done. Uh, as you said, everything about it is is skillful. And it's just really haunting in a way that Tarkovsky perfects in, in the next decade. Mm hmm. Uh, and Kubrick also is building upon, but I don't know, like, I feel like there was something bigger here that I missed, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it really was just this sort of like philosophical exercise in a way. Just I, making gets, you understand the, the vastness and of space. Yeah. It gets, gets into the, uh, you know, how, how infinite space is and, and how how minuscule we all are but it's it's mostly just brought up in dialogue you know these these people who are frustrated from how long the voyage is and being stuck with the same people and uh i mean it's for adults i mean that's the really the biggest uh, you know everything that we're, we're watching otherwise is clearly catering to a younger crowd at this point in which you have several godzillas dying i mean <laughs> 
<laughs> but at the same time, you also get sort of the seeds of like a Star Trek type show here because you do spend a lot of time with all these people on the spaceship. We're just kind of hanging out, having dinner, and you see how they, you know, get their get their meals served to them like they're on a cruise ship. And it's, you know, it's sort of there's an aspect of like love boat in space a little bit with this movie. And uh, but it's done. It's it's done in a in a, in a grown up sort of way. Like it's not. Not trying to tickle you with uh, with with amusing uh, incidents. It's it's just sort of showing you how people in a confined space for a long, long period of time have to have to deal with each other. Yeah, and and it's fully uh, worth watching. I mean, I'm still I the the them finding this ship. It's called the Tigger Fun, by the way. Yeah. Tigger <laughs> Fun is the name of the like poison gas that they release to kill everybody on the ship. Oh yeah, that's what they keep calling the ship though. They call it the Tigger Fun. Oh. But maybe. they say it's but those... from the nineteen eighties, which I thought was actually very funny. Oh wow. Okay. Because it is it, it would have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Reagan era. Right? And even that is really interestingly done because you're not you don't really get this like shock horror of it. I mean you you get the sort of creeping existential horror of that ship, but you're not like getting close ups on bodies. Uh, particularly, you know, you know, it's not like a somebody moves and then a skeleton falls on them, kind of, a, yeah. <laughs> kind of a thing. Like it, it really plays it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just such a. It's this is a, it's a step beyond any film that was coming out in the '60s, which then, of course, yeah, 2001 took and ran with, and and I think from there on, every space thing has seems to try and perpetuate. And this is definitely if you if you love Kubrick, if you love Tarkovsky, if you just like adult films that make you ponder the vastness of space, like this is a must see. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, there are. I mean, I mentioned Forbidden Planet early. There are a few you know, grown up sci fi films in in the fifties that uh, you know were well made films and not meant for kids. You know, thoughtful sci fi movies. But even those are, you know, have sort of a a general audience feel to them. Like, oh, we have to entertain the kids while we're we're providing, you know, some meat for for the adults to think about. But this this really does feel like the earliest, like really grown up sci fi movie I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, if not, you know, directly influential on a ton of other sci fi movies, it's, you know, a lot of movies were inspired by movies that were inspired by this one clearly so it's pretty i would say essential viewing for for any fan of the genre and and again stunningly beautiful Mm -hmm. in black and white the the amazing there's like shots that kubrick straight up stole so (laughs) (laughs) and as much as i love him he stole some shots we should make a list of of things that like we watched uh Funeral Parade of Roses, where uh, Kubrick ripped off shots for Clockwork Orange. Make, catalog them. Kubrick. It'll and- be a list on Letterboxd called Kubrick, You Hack. <laughs> well, the next film, unfortunately, it's a step down. But <laughs> but it's, uh, it has its moments. This is the Andromeda Nebula.
1967. This is a Dovzenko Film Studios. So we're back in Ukraine. Uh, directed by Yevgeny Shurstobitov. Yeah, I, sh- I haven't been saying the director's names, I guess, because I'm, I wasn't familiar with any of them beforehand. Zindrik Polak was the director of Ikari XB1, but he's not really known for too much else besides this. And I don't know if uh, the director of, uh, of Andromeda Nebula is known for anything else. Um, the plot of this one... Oh man, this is the one. Okay, this this is and I got to say about all of these is that if all of these were I think cleaned up and rescued a little bit, translated well, I would probably give everything like a half star more. Silent Star looked really good. The the subtitles were good on that. I think the two the two movies I enjoyed most, the Silent Star and and Ikari XB1 were both great transfers with decent subtitles the rest of these though well that's i mean and that's unfortunately a big part of movies hate to break it to you crowd but you have to see the damn thing (laughs) (laughs) and as much as i love discovering um and and subjecting myself to films that have like five views on letterbox or whatever you know or things that are lost films or underappreciated films Sometimes you're like, ah, oh, man, it is just rough. Mm-hmm. It is really rough. And that was the case with Andromeda Nebula because the only version that we could find online, uh, and usually Russia is very good for this. Usually uh, they, they're great about taking care of their films, cleaning them up and putting them online for free. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit, especially Moss film for sure, but there's quite a bit on YouTube. And this one is on YouTube, but... There's several versions. They're all missing. Like one, one is what was it like five minutes longer than the other? Yeah, they range from like an hour and five minutes to an hour and fifteen minutes. And finding yeah. the subtitles that match the cut of that film. Finding the subtitles that match, which was you know the one that had the best subtitles was the one that was only an hour and five. But then the hour fifteen was sped up. Because I, what I ended up doing, I don't ever want to want to hear uh, any complaints about the kind of blood, sweat, and tears that I give to Cinema Sixty. What I ended up doing was watching this on my television while watching it simultaneously on my phone, the two versions at the same time. Because the one on my phone on YouTube was way better looking to the point where the one on the TV you couldn't actually tell what was happening some of the time because it was so blown out. VHS copy of a VHS copy, but the subtitles were way, way better. But then the one on my phone looked really good and the subtitles were nonsense because they were being auto-translated by auto-translated Russian subtitles. <laughs> and plus it was like it was sped up. The voices were slightly higher pitched than the ones that were on the TV. And the ones on the TV didn't sound slow. Like the music sounded normal on the TV. That's why how I could figure out which one, because I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian. So I end up trying to watch that. I don't know how you watched it, Bart, but that's how I watched it. And then when when one got a little bit faster, I would pause it, watch until and like I would I really was trying to sync it. I was trying so hard to watch this movie. <laughs> and it's not because it was that great, unfortunately. So here's the plot. A spaceship runs out of fuel. And this is the plot to the best of my understanding. And I'm I'm sure I'm missing stuff. 
And I, I'm sure if I spoke the language, it would be a lot clearer, even though I don't know how clear it would have been because it's not that great of a movie. <laughs> a spaceship runs out of fuel. It gets stuck behind on an iron star. And they realize that the star is blocking or at least like slowing down all their communication back to Earth. And they try to send somebody back to get help, but it's going to take them like 20 years or something to get there and back to Earth to like finally get help. So in the meantime, they're all kind of like sitting around, not sure what to do. And then suddenly they get these astral projections of like giant naked ladies dancing on the stars. <laughs> and they realize that this was a message that was sent 300 years ago, but they're only seeing it now because it's like coming through space. But they interpret it as being like an alien spaceship that's in trouble and needs help, I think. But, you know, but they're, of course, their ship is also in trouble. And so half the crew is like torn. Like normally they would be there to help, but because they need help, they don't really know what to do. So, of course, the men decide to go anyhow in hopes that they can find fuel on the distressed alien ship that will they can somehow use. I don't know why they would think that alien fuel would work on their ship, but whatever. They end up on like a trick planet. I think that's the word <laughs> the subtitles used where it was pretty much like it's a planet just made of traps. You know, it's like it's just like a bunch of aliens that um, don't like them. And, and these main antagonist aliens, they call them jellyfish but they're like black clouds that will zap you to dust if you like are out of a ship. So they have to, they like spend most of the time inside of this. It looks like a snake and they're inside the head of the snake and it sort of slithers along. Or a caterpillar. Cause it's got antenna like a caterpillar. You're right. It does have antenna. It's very cute. That's the problem with this movie. There's some really good design in this movie. Like there's some fun shit. There's a crazy gym where it's just like a bunch of people on like a trampoline <laughs> next to a pool <laughs> in their normal ship. I Like I'm missing, it, it gets hazy kind of from here on out. And I know I'm like missing details. Yeah, what you've said is all sounds like my experience of the movie, but this is only the stuff that's on this dark star planet that they end up on. Like all the stuff that happens on earth in this like Greco-Roman utopian earth where people are pledging their bravery to the gods and it's so bizarre. I have no idea what's happening in any of those scenes and there are a ton of them like that's I was completely lost by what was happening on earth half of this movie as you said is told in flashback uh and it's told on on earth which is like basically earth is is a bunch of rocks by a seashore with people in, yeah, like basically togas in <laughs> uh, like a giant brass hand with like a flame inside, and um, which looks great. There is some sort of drama happening on Earth with the captain and I think his wife. Yeah, his wife is having an affair with some higher up person. Yeah, and so what ends up happening... I like I'm pretty sure she's on the ship with everybody and so like you know they're all battling these aliens and No, this is another Veda is not his wife. That confused me too cuz there's the woman who you the blonde woman that you see like prancing on the on the beach on earth and that's his wife. But then there's Veda who's on the the ship and she's in love with the captain and he, you know, is fond of her but you know staying true to his wife. But the the sort of romance or the one-sided romance 
there it was sort of the one thing in this movie I could latch on to. Like I understood what the <laughs> what was happening there. I understood what the emotions I was supposed well, to be. Well, who's the woman who gets laid Veda, out? Veda, not his wife. There's some tragedy that takes place on this alien ship. Like, we got to get through this whole movie before we can answer your question. There is a tragedy that takes place on the alien ship. They say, like, we're scouts. We exist to tell the story. It, it, this can't happen again. We need to repeat this. I don't know what the tragedy of that ship was that they need to repeat. I know their ship is, is, is called the Tantra. But there's something in this alien planet that that is some sort of tragedy. And I'm not sure what happened there. And then you get this character who, you know, the, the in light is the only thing that scares these aliens away. And then she gets zapped, right? And then yeah, she well, ends she... up in like the, the, the doctor bay and they say her heart is beating only once every hundred seconds. And that's how she's like, she's alive, but she's not conscious. Well, the, the captain was going to go out and confront these aliens. And she says, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. We can't sacrifice our captain. I'm going to do it. But because, you know, she's in love with him, she doesn't want him to get hurt. But also, like, he, because he has feelings back towards her. And plus, because she's a woman, he doesn't want her to go out and get hurt. And when she does, he feels all guilty. His ability to captain is is compromised because he just feels so much guilt over Veda getting zapped by the aliens. And um, and that's sort of the the one conflict in this movie where it's, I got something out of it because there's this one doctor on the spaceship who says to the captain, Oh, well I can zap all your memories of Veda so that you don't have to think about her and that you can continue to captain us. Well, you can lead us, you know, off of this planet right. and get us to safety. But our, our captain Ur Urgnur, is that the captain? I remember. <laughs> I um, he says, no, no, being human is, uh, you know, having to do to what suffer. you have to do is to suffer, yeah, and to live with your memories, and uh, and that and makes me stronger. So, like, that was a really interesting thing. Like, there's a really interesting message here about accepting pain, and I know that the flashbacks on Earth tie into that. That basically, like, he's realizing that what makes him a good captain is his humanity and is the fact that he's like suffered and he understands what it means to, to feel pain and, and what it means to strive forward. So I'm like, there was a good movie somewhere in this. Yeah. If it weren't for the cool, like insect looking ships and this, this one, one moment of, of uh, humanity that I understood in it, I would have gotten nothing out of this movie. There's some like cool shots. There's like a clever upside down shot where you think that they're like upside down in space, but it's like a reflection in like water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, unlike you, I wasn't also watching a decent transfer at the same time. I was just watching the terrible. Oh, YouTube so you didn't even version. see the, 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 the jellyfish. I could sort of see a blackish cloud, but I couldn't make out its shape. I just had it to was trust like that it so looked like a jellyfish. Clearer. Yeah. No, it just it looked like a cloud, but like it was just they were so much clearer. You could it was actually kind of interestingly done. Like the effects in this I thought were good. You just can't see them in the copy that has decent subtitles. Yeah. Uh which is why and also the the other problem of course because it's VHS it was cropped. So you actually miss half the damn frame. Yeah. 
So that's why I was I was really watching it on on two because like there's certain times where like you just you literally don't know what's happening because you can't see it. <laughs> yeah, they just haphazardly cropped off both sides without yeah. any respect to what is what was lost when they did that. And then like, you know, the the stuff on Earth looked like it was all just blown out. Like you couldn't see what was happening there either. You couldn't tell even people's faces because it was so blown out. But yeah, I don't like I I would love to see this in better quality. <laughs> well, I think the thing to do is is read the novel um, by Ivan Yefremov because it, apparently it's a, a very well-respected novel, sci-fi novel, and, um, you know, ushered in a new era of, of Soviet sci-fi writing. So the, the book apparently is much, even if we understood what was happening in the movie, the, uh, the book is supposed to be far better. And also it's this movie is just a piece of what happens in the novel that there, there are many, there are further adventures that they, I think they were going to turn into a series. Um, but I don't think this movie was made enough money for them to make further adaptations of this novel or, you know, further adaptations of stories from this novel, but uh, read, read the novel and get back to me about it. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> Finally, we ended the epi episode with <laughs> a really awful, cruddy, zero budget American film called Mission Mars. Nineteen sixty-eight, directed by uh, Nick Webster, who also gave us uh, Santa Claus versus the Martians. Everybody remembers that one from Mystery Science Theater three thousand, with a with a young Pia Zadora painted green. This movie is slightly more competent than that one, but not nearly as entertaining. It's a lot of it is actually pretty straightforward, just astronauts preparing to blast off into space. So you get, uh, you know, a lot of home front stuff at the beginning where you've got the captain of the ship. There's a three-man crew and uh, Darren McGavin is the captain and he's saying goodbye to his wife. Nick Adams is uh, sort of the other main guy. He has like an ex-girlfriend that he's rekindled something with and and that turns out later that she's, she's pregnant. You know, there's all sorts of like home front drama and these these guys who are, are blasting off to Mars just to see what's there. Maybe this is the one where it's an 11 month mission. And Nick Adams has promised his girlfriend that uh, this is the last one. Like she's they, they broke up because he keeps going off on these like adventures that he can't he can't stay home. He has to go off and explore the unknown. And she like calls him out on it straight up. She's like, you're, you're going to die because you're always looking to be the first man to do something. Yeah, and and that's not foreshadowing or anything. No, of course uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I actually think that like it's got you know low production values, but it's a fairly decent blasting these guys off into space, and you know it's got some some good gags about uh, astronaut food and <laughs> does it? <laughs> I don't know. They, they've got these little capsules that uh, you know they have to put in water, and it you know turns into eggs or something. But Nick. Adams has like 
brought this roast beef sandwich that he's just chowing down on. And yeah, they're like, where'd you get that? He's like, from a delicatessen. Where else? <laughs> and then like cue the funky music. Like <laughs> The music is is so... 1969 i mean the opening theme song is completely like insane there's yeah there's nothing like it's just a 1968 rock pop song that has nothing to do with sci-fi or the the plot of the movie it's just like oh we we licensed this song that's going to be a hit so let's put it in our movie and uh it's, it's awful but the the space travel music in this movie is totally funky great like psychedelic rock it actually reminds me of uh, Green Slime a lot from the same year. This movie wishes it was. Yeah, Green I know. Slime. Green Slime was so much better. Anyway, they they end up on. Well, first they see um, they're on their way to Mars, and they see these two astronauts just floating in space. And it turns out that these are these cosmonauts from a previous mission, and they have no idea why they're floating there. It's, they suspect they were they died and were buried in space. So when they finally land on Mars, they're not too far from the Russian capsule that had landed there. And so they go go over and investigate what happened. And uh, and there's some cool stuff in there. Like they leave these marker, these balloons so that they can find their way back to where they they landed. But um, as they get closer to the Russian ship, they realize that their balloons have disappeared like something else is on that planet with them that's that's like taking their balloons and they they come across this frozen russian guy this cosmonaut who's just like they assume he's dead but he's just standing frozen icy frozen and they take him back to the their ship so they can um you know just return the body to to the russians and um and they actually um manages to thaw out and actually uh you know is able to talk and interact and uh, and and recover from this uh, being frozen by these martian creatures well there are aliens on mars we don't necessarily know if they're from mars we think that maybe maybe they're from somewhere else but they're like these robot type creatures with big red eyes that are attacking them and there's this big orb that opens up and sucks them in and you know it's it's really like probably the best they could come up with on a budget like I thought the the orb that that opens up and sucks them in was kind of cool looking. Red-eyed robots were kind of cheesy. I don't know, it just turns into a like monster movie on Mars at the end and I actually didn't think this movie was that terrible really except the production values were awful and the acting was awful and the dialogue was awful, but <laughs> you know other than that it was kind of a fun space adventure movie. Bart, it took me three days to watch this movie. <laughs> Everything that you think about bootleg Bond films was me trying to watch this movie. I just hated this. <laughs> I, But at the same time, I really liked moments of it just because they were so hokey. I just can't believe this came out in 60. Like, I can because, like, w- we know how crummy movies get in 68 and 69. <laughs> but this just feels like 10 years earlier. Yeah, I mean it's just low budget driving fire. Yeah, they they It's just pure schlock. I mean, I did appreciate like the the girlfriends trying to like talk to their husbands or whatever boyfriends out of going into space. That first one's like trying to sit there and plead with him about like oh, but don't you want a family? Don't you want to, you know, and she's like trying to like get him in some sort of guilt hook. 
And then the other one is like, look, I, I can't compete with literal space travel. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're going to do whatever the hell you're going to do. And you're probably going to die doing it. So uh, peace out. I'm going to go bang someone else. Like comparing this movie to the communist ones that we watched. I mean, those those are all they're equally hokey, but you can actually they've got some production values like they look good. I think watching this side by side, you know, sort of demonstrates the difference between how communism should have won the Cold War. (laughs) No, between like what a high budget non Hollywood production sci fi production can look like and how it's, you know, as hokey as it might seem, it's it's so much better than Americans making a low budget sci fi movie with, you know, using a a lot of the same plot points, very similar stories, but it's. You know, you, you can't even compare the two. This movie has, it's basic, but there's so much less of interest here than even the, you know, Andromeda Nebula, which I could hardly understand what was happening at all in that movie. There's not much content here. It's just filler, really. Whereas the, you know, all the others, all the all the European ones we watched were, you know, they had... They had some kind of content. There's some like I- they had some idealism. kind of message. They had yeah. like you know they had a commentary on on space travel or or humanity and like this is just literally like stoplight creatures that know how to shred guitar real well. <laughs> <laughs> but also, what's interesting is that on on both sides of the Iron Curtain, we seem to be saying that you know by the time we get people on Mars. You know, we might still be at odds, you know, Russia, Russia and America. They might, you know, they might be two superpowers that have their own interests at heart. But, um, you know, by the time we get to Mars, we'll at least be cooperating enough that, uh, you know, that we we have be willing to help each other, that we want to, you know, do the do right by each other. And it there is interestingly sort of a message of peace in this one. Not like we we got to. We got to beat those commie bastards. It's like, yeah, let's all let's all get along and we can all do this together. Sort of sort of message. Well, that was one of the tragedies, quite frankly, out of I mean, one of the many tragedies. But I I really bummed me out to hear Russia say that they're going to quit the International Space Station uh, because of what's happening in Ukraine. Hmm. Man, we we did get there. We had, you know, we (laughs) we managed to figure out if if nothing else, we're all going to cooperate in space. But. Well, now we're going to end up on our planet that's charred black. That's our future. Yeah. We got to get on the gambling ship, bare minimum. (laughs) Go out in style. All I have to say is that, you know, sometimes when bad leaders go away, things things get better. So so we can. Yeah, when we're all dead because we've nuked ourselves. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed this episode. It was a mixed bag for sure, but there's just so much great looking stuff. I mean, it really does. It just makes me think that if a lot of this stuff was cleaned up, given a little bit of spit shine and love and a decent translation, I think they're all kind of great movies. Except for Mission Mars. Except for Mission (laughs) Mars. Yeah, I agree. They all had something. But uh, what I thought was surprising was that, I don't know, I had the impression that there were tons of these things. Like there's so many... Soviet sci-fi movies that were made in the 60s, late 50s and 60s, but there aren't we we watch most of them. I mean there were just a few that that you had on your list that I couldn't get, but there weren't dozens and dozens of them. There were, you know, maybe a dozen and we watched a good portion of them for this this episode. So it wasn't really an era of lots and lots of movies like this. You know, it was a fairly limited genre, but I think because 
Roger Corman took a bunch of them and and turned them into Americanized versions with different titles and different storylines in some cases. We have this sort of mistaken impression that he just took a few of, of the many, many that that were made. And turns out he he took pieces of pretty much all of them that were made and, and put them into various low budget American movies. But that was my big takeaway. I just thought there were bunches and bunches of these and, and there aren't really. So th they should be treasured, the, the few that we have and somebody should take care of them. Yeah, like way more than they were. I mean, really, Akari was was the only one that was really restored and revered, which for obvious reasons. But well, I think um, Silent Star looked good just because Difa Studios, the East German film studio, did take really good care of all of its films. You know, they didn't put out a huge number of films, but the ones they did are all in good shape. So thanks, Difa. These are my vibe movies. I, people always are trying to sell me on films. Oh, the vibes. You got to watch it for the vibes. And it's always some freaking 80s movie. <laughs> and it never does it for me. But like, this is exactly what does it for me. Like, I can watch 10 more of these kinds of films just for the vibes of space travel. Uh, and especially not just space travel, because there's plenty of crummy space movies out there. But it's like this, this mid-century utopian space travel and especially the word keyword utopian even when people are dying in a lot of these and the conclusion is that nuclear war is bad uh there's always like a better tomorrow that they're hinting at or they're building towards and we do not have that anymore even our star trek has become <laughs> pretty dystopian and that shit bums me out. Like, when's the last time we really had a, like, we're excited for the future film? Just in general. Mm. Yeah. I, since, since those Star Wars happened, we just want, we just want space fighting, not space peace. Yeah. And it's not even like peace. It's like, but like advancement, like for like, you know, and that was such the bummer about those, the Star Trek remake movies was that they really lost the heart and soul of Star Trek. I mean, the characters are there as, you know, they're, they're fine. I saw all of them. But, you know, what was great about Star Trek and what's great about these is this idea of, again, that, that championing of, of humanity and, and curiosity and science and peace and a better tomorrow and learning from mistakes and all of these. They're adult themes, I guess. And, and we've sort of digressed in many ways to just yeah battling in space and i love star wars too don't get me wrong but and i mean the fact too that, that that's all kind of alien planets and not not a potential future really is another level of disconnect and i and i do miss this i don't know this like headspace well it's the closest you're gonna get to Star Trek, the original series, you know, anywhere. Like, I, I, I don't think that there. But it's the closest I'm getting to like any positive space movies. Like, I, I really am. Like, I'm trying to rack my brain on on what is. And 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 again, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Tarkovsky. Like, I love 2001. The more existential the film gets, the more I'm gonna love it. Quite frankly, so I, I get that. I get why we're always going to gravitate towards that. But I also just. There's a real vision that these movies have, and even when they're low budget or they're corny and the characters are forgettable and they're all the same film after watching six of them in a row. Just, I don't know. There's something nice about them. 
And again, it's like this idea of like looking towards a a future of better design and better material, uh, you know, like searching for new life, being optimistic about searching for a new life, like thinking that we're going to actually go and help them instead of destroy them and, and thinking of the the best that could happen. And I just, there, I, I feel like there's a, there's a type of thinking here that has been really dead and buried in the last several decades that just, it bums me out. We finally landed on the moon in 1969, and that was the climax. And, you know, that was all, all our hopes were resting on that. And when it finally happened, uh, you know, we what else was there to hope for? It was all downhill from there. I'll bet that has a lot to do with it. I think it not. I mean, all right, I can I can see that. But I have a feeling it has more to do with the fact that we landed on the moon and then we didn't do jack shit after it. Yeah, because, you know, when they when you get some beep, beep who talks about, uh, you know, going to Mars, <laughs> uh, people get real excited about that. But that's the other thing that, piss- I mean, like, well, maybe now this is really getting off topic, but when it becomes privatized space travel, I think that's even more dystopian. <laughs> but that's what 2001 is, right? Are they privatized? Well, it's- I don't think so. It's commercialized anyway. Space is commercialized. But that mission doesn't seem... This seems like a that's a that's a the whole government meets up with them in the beginning and talks to them about what they're gonna do. Costs too much to go to space for it to not be a capitalist enterprise, and that's why the communist version of it was so hopeful. It's this idea that just you know human ingenuity and goodwill could get us to the stars. Everybody, write to your senator. Tell them forget police and education and roads. Mm-hmm. and start funding space travel again that's my that's my uh presidential that's what i'm gonna run on and you'll be the first one on board that yep just shoot me in a rocket <laughs> i'm done <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Cinema 60 with Bart DeLauro and Jenna Ipcar. The theme song is Io la conosceva bene by Piero Piccioni. The closing theme is Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. Check out cinema60.com for new episodes and supplemental material. That's cinema60.com. And follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Cinema 60 Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.